Welcome to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to discuss an article from the June issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled Face Flies on Pastured Cattle. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dave Boxler, who's a Nebraska Extension entomologist based at the West Central Research and Extension Center. Thanks for joining me today. Good afternoon, Aaron. Well, Dave, as we record this podcast, we're sitting here in early June and we've had some conditions now where we're starting to see flies on pasture cattle. Today, let's talk about the impact of face flies as well as stable flies on pasture cattle. And as we think about what we might need to do in terms of administering control, what are some options available to us? Well, certainly the rain that we received over the last few weeks have certainly helped us in our range condition and actually has stimulated fly production. We have not seen too many face flies yet. Uh, I was out in the field yesterday and I saw a couple, but they will be uh, coming soon. Probably as we progress through June, you're going to see the population numbers increase. And face flies have been very problematic over the last few years. The female face fly will be the only fly that will feed on the, uh, the animal itself. The male does not feed on the animal. And it's the female's feeding habits that really cause issues with the, the tissue of the eye. The mouth part of the, of the face fly is very similar to the house fly. We, we call it a sponging type mouth part. However, the face fly has what they call preostomal teeth, which are little projections. Then they actually, when she goes in to feed, those preostomal teeth scarify or stimulate tear production. And so she's after the tears because it contains protein, which she needs to develop eggs. And that's where the problems become. I mean, it will set the eye up for uh, various eye issues. And we know that the face fly can mechanically vector the causative agent of pink eye. So that's the the, the big crux of the problem when it comes to uh, to face flies. Where the cost is really uh, comes into play with producers is, is treating those uh, infected eyes. You have to bring the animal in, isolate it. You have to treat it with antibiotics and even patch the eye many times. And during that process, when, when the eye is healing, the animal isn't eating like it should. It's not grazing uh, with the rest of the group. So there's the impact as far as economic injury level, that is still somewhat elusive. We have estimates out there, but in reality, all it takes is one face fly to cause an issue. And that was demonstrated many years ago in a research project that was conducted here at the West Central Research and Extension Center. So I would encourage if producers are having a face fly issue, all producers throughout the state will encounter that. Normally, it's in areas where you get high moisture, certainly eastern Nebraska, irrigated pastures, and also canyon areas. The face fly needs places to rest, so the canyons offer trees and especially harborage for the males, because the male will feed on plant nectar, and so it's sitting there waiting for the female to come back after feeding. The feeding is sporadic through the day. And that's why it is very difficult to reduce face fly numbers is because she's not on the animal, say, for several hours. So it's hit and miss. 
So you need to target with products or control methodologies that really focus around the head. Probably the most effective products that we have or delivery systems would be the insecticide air tags, followed by dust bags and oilers. So it's difficult. Now, there are uh, vaccines available, commercial pink eye vaccines, and also autogenous vaccines that producers, if you have a persistent pink eye problem year after year, I would consult with your veterinarian to see if those vaccines may be helpful to your particular situation. The face fly feeding will cause animals to bunch, and usually it's head to head. And uh, so if you notice that activity in your in your pasture at times, that's kind of pointing to the face fly. And also the animals will throw their heads quite a bit to dislodge that feeding fly. So I would encourage producers to use some means of fly control when it comes to providing uh, a reduction in face fly numbers. As I think about when fly populations typically peak, you mentioned that they typically like wetter type conditions. And so we've had a lot of drought. Parts of Nebraska still are experiencing drought, especially I'd say, oh, the eastern third of Nebraska, they're you know still very dry. But here in more west, I'd say uh, Kearney West, we've had quite a bit of moisture. In fact, out in the panhandle, one of the wetter maize on record for Scott's Bluff. So as we think about the life cycle of the face fly, what typically might we be looking at in terms of when this would be an issue as we think about the summer? Well, historically, uh, at least here in the west central part of Nebraska, we normally see face fly numbers start to peak in uh, late July and early August. Now, that's all dependent upon the, the weather. And I would anticipate seeing face fly numbers here in June increasing. And I'm uh, we're watching our cattle very closely. Also, a key, if you see an animal with a, well, a lacrimation or a running of, of tearing, that's a sign something is irritating that eye, whether it's a, a fly or it could be a grass stem. I mean, grass has really grown tremendously. So there, there's a number of things that could be irritating that eye, but I would be very uh, inquisitive and I would look at the cattle on a daily basis. Face flies are going to be active as soon as the temperature gets above 65 degrees. So mid-morning would be an excellent time to look at and observe your animals to see if there's any flies feeding around the face. Now, if you have cattle that are in a dry lot situation and then do also go out to pasture, you might be uh, observing some house flies too, because house flies will be attracted to the eyes also. So when you have cattle very close to, say, a confined system, you might get a carryover of, of the house flies too. So that's something to be mindful of also. So bottom line, as we think about face flies, as we think about control options, uh, looking at fly tags, boilers, dust bags, what I hear you saying is it needs to be a product that's supplied fairly frequently or they have access to fairly frequently. Bringing the cattle in and spraying them today a few days from now may not be very efficacious. Is that accurate? That's very accurate. Yeah. So that's why in the old days, producers would used to use dust bags and they were very effective because normally they would hang them in a situation where the animals would have to go under them every day, sometimes multiple times per day. So they were getting a, a pretty good treatment. And unfortunately, we don't see many producers using dust bags anymore. Oilers still are very popular, but here again, they need to be located uh, in a forced use situation 
to get maximum effect. But you definitely need to target that face area. Let's change gears a little bit and talk about stable flies. So again, that's a fly that sure likes wet, moist type conditions, as you've shared before, where you've got uh, some kind of rotting material or something for them to work with. Unusual out here in the last couple of years, we've had a literally dry conditions, but now this year we've had, in some cases, a lot of moisture. There's going to be some standing water in places we haven't had for a while. Maybe potentially the opportunity for greater fly populations, thinking here of stable flies as we move into this summer on pastured cattle, just because of the change we've had in, in weather as compared to the last couple of years. As we think about stable fly and pasture cattle, what are some things to be aware of there? And then what are some options for producers? Well, you're very correct in, in your uh, assessment of, of the situation. In fact, we were in the field yesterday uh, collecting stable fly larvae out of substrates that were left over uh, and spent hay from the winter. And we've had ample precipitation and we had no trouble finding immature stable fly larvae. The adult numbers right now are really high. On our own research cattle, we're seeing numbers anywhere from 15 to 30 per leg, and that is significant. That's the highest population level I've seen since 2019 when we had that real wet summer. So I would very, I certainly, in a, and across the area that received a lot of moisture, even as far west as northwest Nebraska, Shadron. I spoke with a producer today, earlier today, who was having stable fly issues, and he hadn't seen that for a long time. So wherever you live uh, here in Nebraska and received a lot of moisture, expect, at least for maybe a short time, a, an explosion of stable fly numbers. Now, if we get hot and dry, then that'll change because the stable fly requires a very moist environment. Um, it will only develop, like you say, in decaying organic material with a little manure and a little dirt. It will not develop in straight cow manure. So that's a big difference. But uh, we have the potential to really have a significant problem this year. And we may be making more applications for stable fly control. The uh, gentleman that I spoke with uh, this morning was trying to develop a strategy to control the stable flies. And really, right now, all we have is spraying. And you can spray the animals. But as I was visiting with this producer, he has a lot of canyons. And he has a lot of trees, deciduous trees. And I told him that after the stable fly takes its blood meal, and both the female and the male will take a blood meal, normally twice a day. Once they take that blood meal, they will fly off to a shaded area to digest that blood. Could be the, the shaded side of a building. It could be the shaded side of a windmill. And also windbreaks or tree stands. So I encourage this producer to go in say mid-afternoon into the tree stand and just listen because you can hear them, the flies, or look at the underside of the leaf. And if you see little black dots, that's an indicator that this is where stable flies will rest. So you could target those resting sites and with a spray, the same type of spray you use on the animals, and you can take out a significant population that way. So that's another approach. So what I hear you saying is we may not want to just think about only spraying the animals, but also thinking about those resting areas where these stable flies are basically resting after their blood meal and target those as well, because really both the animal and the, the resting site are, 
are the desired place to try to get control. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, not every pasture is going to have a building or something, but there are places where they'll rest. And I have seen, and I saw this yesterday, on the underside of barbed wire, you can find stable flies resting in the heat of the day. So I don't encourage people to spray around the water tanks. You know, that's one area that they will rest in. But I think a lot of times the windbreaks are really ideal, whether it's a deciduous or coniferous type of windbreak. Uh, they both offer shelter and shade, and that's what the fly needs. And certainly what we're going to see this summer, especially early, will be cattle bunching in the corners of pastures, and they'll be uh, stomping their legs, and uh, that's a sure sign you have stable flies. You know, as much rain as we received in the western part of the state, there's going to be some real problems out there for our livestock producers. Uh, not so much this year in the eastern part because they haven't received as much, but historically they are normally wetter than we are anyway. But especially this year, the, the tables have been turned just a bit. One of the other things you mentioned in the article is just, and thus the name, stable flies. They came from areas around stables where there was decaying organic matter. So feeding sites where there's feed on the ground or residual old hay, uh, if we can do things to scrape that, clean that off, dry that out, that's going to help us in terms of thinking about a place where those flies are reproducing and basically taking that habitat away. Well, that's very true. And if, if you cannot provide sanitation, and what I'm talking about sanitation is taking that material and spreading it out very thin. Once it loses the moisture, it loses the ability to to harbor stable fly larvae. There is a chemical called Neparex. It's a larvicide that is a granular that can be sprinkled over those areas if you cannot do the sanitation aspect. And one thing about a stable fly is that they can fly a long distance in a very short period of time, four miles in a day. And here in the Sandhill area of the state, the Sandhills really don't provide a substrate for stable fly development. So the flies that you're seeing on your pastured cattle in the sandhills are coming from another location. And that's that's part of the, the work that we're trying to do is identify some of those developing sites and get a better handle on that. And the, some of the work we were doing yesterday is, uh, is going to be geared toward that. So Dave, anything else on the stable fly you'd like to highlight today as producers are going out observing cattle, thinking about what their options may be if they're encountering a situation where they think they may need to do something in terms of treatment to uh, basically provide some comfort and relief to their cattle? Well, certainly sprays are, are the ultimate, uh, actually the only effective treatment that we have, whether you apply it with a mist blower sprayer or a low pressure sprayer. Now, one thing I, I will caution our uh, cow-calf operators, some of the products, especially a couple of the organophosphate products, Coral and Prolate, they do have restrictions on age. So you want to read the label carefully. Uh, Coral does not, uh, is not approved for calves younger than three months. So bear that in mind. If, uh, if you do have younger calves out there, you may want to go with a pyrethroid first, then come back in later in the season, rotate to an organophosphate when those animals are a little older, and that still works well with our resistant management plan because uh, resistance uh, is certainly there. And that's the only way we can really manage it is by changing mode of action or chemistries. 
Well, Dave, thanks for joining me today. Again, appreciate your thoughts and inputs on flies and what we might do in terms of controlling both the face fly and stable fly on pasture cattle. Thank you, Aaron. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. Again, the two articles we discussed today, face flies on pasture cattle, as well as controlling stable flies, these articles can be found in the June issue of the Beef Watch newsletter.